Hello, everybody. This is Rob Fredette with HodgePod with Rob Fredette, and I am at episode number 12, and we're switching gears. We're going to talk baseball with the World Series in play now, coming up with the Phillies and the Astros. We're going to look at some World Series from previous years, but not with like the usual suspects like the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers. We're going to look at two specific World Series that went seven games, the 1991 World Series and the 1997 World Series. And I have a special guest today, and it's Jim Fisher, who I worked with many years ago, but he was at game six and seven in Minnesota, and we had the pleasure of working the 97 World Series at Pro Player Stadium. We'll talk more about that in the next episode. But, Jim, welcome to my podcast, and I'm looking forward to talking baseball tonight. Well, thanks. That's great, Rob. Look, uh, We've known each other a long time, and it's hard to believe these World Series were almost 30, well, 31 years ago in the Twins' case, and about 25 years ago in the Marlins case. So it's, it's been a while, but uh, they were, they're very memorable World Series, obviously. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, uh, when you think about the World Series back then, uh, the Braves and the Twins, back the divisions back then, it was just the East Division and the West Division, and you went right into the National Ch- and the American League Championship Series, not like today we have wild cards and division series and uh, national the ALCS and the NLCS. Uh, but now back then it was basically just those two uh, divisions and they would go right to the uh, championship series. So quite a difference. So they get right into it right away. So the Braves and the Twins in 1991, they had a uh, story passed in the previous couple of years. Uh, I know the Braves were uh, – had 90-some-odd losses back then. But the Twins, were they also uh, last to first as well? Yeah, they, they called that worst to first because both teams were in last place in 1990. The Twins had actually won a World Series in 1987, but then they declined. And in 1990, they were last and the Braves were last. And then they both uh, had great years in 91 and won their playoffs. Uh, the Twins beat Toronto in the ALCS. And... The Braves beat Pittsburgh. If you've got any Braves fans out there or Pirates fans, the immortal Sid Bream came around third and scored the winning run, and uh, they beat Pittsburgh four games to three. And uh, it was just a tremendous finish. And again, very unexpected because the Braves uh, had not played that well uh, up until that point. But yeah, many, they actually had a, a survey one time in ESPN, and they said this was the second greatest uh, World Series ever. Yeah, I agree. It was a fantastic World Series. I remember the Homer Hankies at the Metrodome, and I still contest to this day that that is the loudest I've ever heard a stadium on television, the Homer Hankies. I don't know how the Braves could play in that situation. It was so loud, and uh, it definitely came into play in games six and seven. So looking back, though, the Braves, they were uh, managed by Bobby Cox. They finished at 94 and 68 they played at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium back in the day, and uh, they were definitely, uh, again, Francisco Cabrera had that winning hit, I remember, and we never heard from him ever again, did we? No, no, he didn't, but, uh, you know, Sid Bream, because uh, everybody remembers where they were on that last play. I was watching it with a Pirates fan that was planning to come to the World Series in Pittsburgh, and they saw that uh, final play, and 
their, their son broke out in tears. He started crying because <laughs> Atlanta and Pittsburgh had good teams at that time. That was Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonilla and, you know, Andy Van Flake and some really good players. But Atlanta just uh, jumped ahead. And, um, you know, the Twins, uh, you mentioned the Metrodome. I, I wasn't living. I grew up in Minneapolis, and I went back to the game. I had tickets for game six and seven. The Metrodome today is just reviled as probably the worst facility any baseball team has ever played in just because it was a, uh, an air-filled uh, uh, fabric dome. And they built it at the time when people were building multi-use stadiums. And the Vikings played there and the Gopher football team and, and the Twins. And it, it really was pretty awful. They had what they called the baggie in right field for a home run fence. And, uh, but the one thing that it did, it sealed the weather because the weekend of the, of the uh, game six and seven, the weather was just atrocious. It was probably in the 30s or 40s at night. It was rainy and sleety. Wow. And you, you may not have even played those games or they certainly wouldn't have been uh, at the same level because of that the poor weather. So, and, and as you said, it's, it was extraordinarily loud the whole game long. Yes, and uh, go looking at the Braves, I remember watching the Braves in the uh, late 80s, mid-80s to late 80s, and I remember watching them on TBS, and you would not see any fans at Braves games. I remember watching those uh, games on TBS, and there were no fans there, and the four previous seasons before getting to that World Series, the Braves averaged 98 losses a season, so... In 1991, they went 94 and 68, and they had quite a potent lineup as well as a couple of great pitchers on that team. Tommy Glavin, uh, 20 and 11, he was 25 years old back then. Charlie Liebrandt, 15 and 13 record, he was 34. He was the elder statesman of the pitching staff. John Smoltz, a young 24, he went 14 and 13. And a name that really gets forgotten early on in the Braves' success is Steve Avery, 18-8. and eight. He was 21 years old. When I was looking up the research for this, it was amazing to see that he was only 21. And looking back, he was really looked at as to be one of the aces for years to come. But that was the pitching staff for uh, the Braves. So what did the, uh, the Twins look like back then uh, with their pitching staff? Well, the, the Twins in 87 had Hall of Famer Bert Sullivan, and they had Frank Viola, Frankie Sweet Music, they called him. And, and oh, yeah. Reardon, and they, they had some, some really good pitching. The only two everyday players, well, there were three or four, but the, the two main everyday players that came from 87 to 91 were Ken Herbeck, their first baseman, and Kirby Puckett, their uh, Hall of Fame outfielder. Dan Gladden was there, and... and but they they pretty much turned that team over from '87 to '91, and um, their their pitching at that time they had they had signed Jack Morris yes. uh, from the Tigers as a free agent, and he was from St. Paul, so this was coming home for him. Um, they had uh, Scott uh, Erickson, and they had you know they weren't real name uh, pitchers, but they just they they had a, a you know a real good team, and and again nobody expected them to do what they did that year. So it was, you know, it was pretty amazing. The the Braves, you know, everybody thinks about the big three um, of Glavin, Smoltz, and uh, Maddox. But Maddox didn't really come around till 93 Correct. when they signed him from uh, from the Cubs. And just kind of an aside, they, they had asked Jim Leland was the manager of the Pirates at that time. And, and then he also managed Detroit and the Marlins. 
And somebody asked him once, they said, if you had one game to win, who would your pitcher be? And he said, absolutely, John Smoltz. He said, he's money in a big game. And, of course, he was a starter then. Right. But later in his career, he became a reliever. Correct, correct. And the Braves lineup was really stacked back then as well. David Justice uh, was huge. 21 home runs that year, 87 RBIs. He was 25. And Ron Gant was the was the slugger of that lineup. 32 home runs and 105 RBIs. Terry Pendleton, but we'll talk about him a little bit later in the next episode with the Marlins. He was batting 319. And plate appearances back then were like 644 for Pendleton back in 1991. And I always remember Mark Lemke, the second baseman. He was definitely a uh, platooning with Jeff Treadway. And then a 23-year-old Deion Sanders was on the Braves as well, splitting between time between the Falcons and the Braves. So, you know, looking at the bet, Deion Sanders, it's unbelievable. He was on that team in 91. Yeah, yeah, they were. They just interviewed him on uh, 60 Minutes this week and talking about how he's coaching at Jackson State now. And they showed film of the day that he played. Um, I guess he played football for the Falcons and then got on a plane and flew to Pittsburgh for the uh, NLCL. <laughs> I and remember that, yeah. amazing at that time. Yes, and the, the lineup for the Twins was stacked too. I remember watching the Twins at Fenway Park in the late 80s. Um, and I remember Kent Herbeck was his big first baseman. He was huge. Chuck Knobloch was at second base. And then uh, overlooked, I think, not overlooked, but a potent uh, member of that lineup was D.H. Chili Davis. I had forgotten about that when uh, looking up the uh, 91 World Series. 29 home runs and 93 ribbies that year. Incredible. Yeah, he, he was a great hitter. Uh, Kent Herbeck came up. Funny story about Kent. Um, I lived in Bloomington, Minnesota, which was the home of, of Metropolitan Stadium, which is where the Twins played up until the Metrodome in the 80s. And Kent lived right a block uh, south of us. And they always talked about how he could, you know, he could see the lights of Metropolitan Stadium when he was growing up. But that's probably not true unless he was standing on the roof of the house. But he, uh, you know, he grew up in Bloomington and then they, they signed him and he, they called him up and his first game, he hit a home run in Yankee Stadium, and then he became a two-time uh, world champion. And and when we get into the game, there was one play that he'll always live in infamy uh, from that Brave series. But he was, you know, he was he still lives there. He's uh, he's uh, they have a bar called Herbie's at, at the new Target <laughs> Field, so he's still kind of a local hero. Yeah, he was uh, he was quite a quite a player. Very uh, the Twins in '91 they were just a, a hardworking team, but they had results in the lineup. And you cannot you cannot forget about the Twins. A 31 year old Kirby Puckett, 15 home runs, 89 RBIs that year. But in the '80s, he was one of the top three, probably top five players in all of baseball, just for his play, uh, the way the team rallied around him. Kirby Puckett was definitely the 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 leader of the twins. Yep. You know, I said, get on my back, boys, I'll carry you there and ended up in the Hall of Fame and had to retire early with an eye problem and then died very, very early in his life. And and it was just kind of kind of a sad way to go. But he was yeah, when he played, he was a great, great uh, player and a great great leader, great inspiration. 
Yeah, he was. The pitching staff for the Twins uh, was definitely uh, Jack Morris was over uh, to the Twins from the Tigers. And you have Kevin Tappany. He had 16 wins. And Scott Erickson, in his second year as a starting pitcher, had an awesome record that year, 20 wins and eight losses. So Scott Erickson was working his way up into um, the uh, folklore of baseball with uh, that year. He was always uh, a elite starting pitcher. And uh, a lot of these players that we're going to be talking about were definitely big in this World Series. It's incredible when you think that this series went seven games. Um, you know, the first two were taken in Minnesota, then the next three in Atlanta, and then you get to game six and seven. It's incredible how each team held serve, but uh, it's, it shows you, what, you know, in any sport, how a home field advantage can definitely play into uh, a team winning. And it was definitely the case for the Twins in 91. Yeah, and when they went to Atlanta, that was really the first year of the chop and, the, you know, the, the oh, little yeah. old hatchets that they, they gave out or that they sold to people. And, I mean, you'd look up in the crowd and there were 50,000 of these of these uh, choppers doing the chop. And, <laughs> and, I mean, it was it was awesome. I mean, it was yep. just amazing. Because, again, they had never won. They hadn't won in years. So it was, it was all brand new to them, too. Yeah, and I remember the Braves in the early 80s. Dale Murphy, they had a run uh, in the playoffs. <clears throat> Joe, Murf- uh, Joe Murphy. Joe Torrey was the manager. I remember Joe Torrey was the manager for the Braves. And Dale Murphy, who's still not in the Hall of Fame, I don't know why, two-time MVP. Um, he was in a tremendous baseball player. But the Braves, I... Uh, did make the playoffs uh, one year. I believe it was 83 or 84. Uh, but they um, they were pretty bad in the late 80s, but they built up those draft picks. And 91 started an incredible run for the Braves, um, which pretty much lasted more than any team that I can remember in the next 20 or so years, Jim. Do you believe that as well? Because there's teams that come and go, but they were constant, you know, winning the division, getting players, and uh, – they were pretty much like the Patriots of uh, baseball at that time. Yeah, well, they were they were actually in the playoffs. That was their first year, and they were they were in the playoffs every year from 1991 to 2005, with the exception of '94 when the World Series was canceled. But the funny thing is, in 14 years, they only won one World Series, and that was 1995 against right. Cleveland which is kind of unusual when you think, you know, the big three pitchers and, and the fact that they were in the, the playoffs every year, but only came out of it with one World Series. But, again, they were playing some really good Yankee teams at that time, and, you know, they, they just – I guess they just weren't lucky in some cases. Correct, correct. And the Braves, uh, uh, first two games were in Minnesota for the World Series. The Twins took game one, five to two. Jack Morris got the win. Game two, Twins win – Three to two, Kevin Tappany gets the win, and then it switches back to Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, and then the Braves just take three, pretty much uh, five four in game three, three to two in game four, and then fourteen to five in game five. And I'm always leery about teams that hit a lot, get a lot of runs in, because I think they get tapped out after that. And they go back to Minnesota, and that's where games six and seven are. And then you were at those games. So, what was it like at game six, especially leading into game seven the next night? Well, it was crazy. It was a Saturday, Sunday night. I'm going to go back to game two for a second. Got it. Um, there, was, there was a play in game two where uh, they, they caught uh, Ron Gant off first base. 
and they threw to Herbeck, and Herbeck, well, either blocked first base or he picked him up in a body slam wrestling move and just basically shoved him off the base and tagged him out, and call, and they called him out. And to this day, you have people in Atlanta that, that absolutely declare that that was, you know, Herbeck should have been thrown out of the game. It's still on, you see it on Twitter all the time and on, on uh, YouTube, and it was just one of those plays, and Herbeck just ran off the field and said, okay. He's out. You know? <laughs> so, but but when we got to we got to game six, uh, it, it was again people were really excited. I think they were a little leery because they were down three games to two. But you know they came out and and you know they they played a, a great game. Uh, I think that was the game that Kirby had to catch up against the left field. What was hockey glass at that point, and uh, and then they ended up. Uh, you know, they ended up winning the game on a Kirby Puckett home run in the 11th inning. And um, Jack Buck, who, who announced the games with uh, Tim McCarver at that time, did his famous call where he said, well, we'll see you tomorrow night. And you reminded me that, that Joe Buck, his son, reprised that. I don't know which game that was or which World Series, but he basically kind of brought that back out again. But that was a uh, kind of a famous call that Jack Buck did that night. And and the funny thing of, of that World Series is that was the last World Series Jack Buck did. Interesting. He went, back to, he went back to being the game, you know, the game day announcer for the uh, Cardinals, but he didn't do any more World Series. And Tim McCarver continued. But um, Jack Buck, that was the end of it for him, Game 7. But And then Game 7 was on a Sunday. And it was just, again, it was cold and rainy and had the Metrodome not been the, the field that they played in. I, I don't know that they would have gotten a game in because it was just really sloppy weather. And, uh, but once you were inside, you know, it was, it was warm and you were, you were fine. But that, that was Smoltz against Jack Morris. And um, Morris ended up going all the way. He pitched 10 innings, 126 pitches. And they won it on a Gene Larkin uh, hit in the tenth inning. Wow! Well, we, you you've talked about all these great plays. So game six, Kirby Puckett. I had to go back and watch that play on YouTube. That was a spectacular catch. He got way up there on that plexiglass. He timed that yep. perfectly. I don't know how. He if he was one second early or once he would have never have caught that ball. How he caught that ball. It's amazing how pro athletes make plays like that with all those thousands and tens of thousands of people watching. They have the focus and the term and the wherewithal to make a spectacular catch. And speaking of that catch, Jack Buck and Tim McCarver called it. So here is that play. He corks it to left center and chased by Puckett. He caught it. Fence is 13 feet high. And it's plexiglass. And watch Kirby climb the plexiglass to rob Ron Gant of an extra base hit. That's an unbelievable play. You know what I like about that play, too? When a great play is made, nobody talks. They just hear the fans. That's what I like, old-school broadcasting. Don't say anything. Let the Get the feel for the game. What do you think about that, Jim? 
at the amazing thing. We were sitting out in left field, so it was right in front of us. And the amazing thing when you saw the replay was how he he wasn't a tall guy. He was probably oh. only about five six or so. But when you look at how high off the ground he got, I mean, he probably was up. I don't know. The club tip was probably eleven feet in the air. Yeah, he was way up. There. I mean, it was it was just a fantastic catch, and then for him to basically win the game on a home run in, in the uh, in the extra innings. I mean, what a what a night! And then they then they still had one more game. Yeah, and here's that home run by Puck Kirby. Into deep left center from Mitchell, and we'll see you tomorrow. Night. I can still remember Kirby running around those bases back then. That was incredible. And I remember I was working in radio back then, and I, was, I had to get up early in the morning, like 4 a.m., 3.30, and I stayed up till like 11, 12 o'clock that night watching Game 6 and Game 7. It was incredible. Um, but, yeah, that was a – without those two plays, Jim, that, they may have not won the World Series, that, the home run, but especially the catch. Those are two plays that probably won the series uh, for the Twins. Do you believe that? I agree. They were they were in and out of both games six and seven. Uh, they were in and out of trouble all night long. I mean, they had you know runners on base and and they had one where Gant hesitated going around second and and so he ended up not scoring and so there. I mean, there was there were a lot of times where you know there were there were. I mean, unlike some of the games today, the you know the the most recent uh, ALCS where you had uh, the Yankees strike out seventeen times. Mm. Well, they were they were putting the ball in play, and you know, with the artificial turf, um, you know, that ball would take off like a rocket. So it was, you know, it, it was very entertaining baseball to watch, and you just never knew from inning to inning uh, who was going to end up winning the game. So you get to Game Seven, all the drama. The game is zero zero. So what was the feeling like in the stadium then? Because uh, we both worked the 97 World Series in Game 7 in Florida. We'll get to that in the next episode. But it's pretty intense, any Game 7, no matter which sport. But what, what was it like? I know it was loud, but uh, was there any apprehension in during the game? Oh, but, oh, without a doubt. I mean, yeah, I don't think anyone sat the whole game. I mean, I think people were, were at least around us, people were standing the entire game and and it just seemed like every time you looked up, Terry Pendleton was coming up with, and, and he was just a pest. You know, he was really a hard out, and they would always have a guy on. And you know, you just and and Morris, Morris basically said he he wasn't coming out of the game. I mean, he told Tom Kelly, the manager, after about the eighth or ninth, Smoltz had left. Smoltz left in the seventh, and it was zero zero. But Morris just said, you know, basically, you're not taking me out. And he was out there in the tenth inning through 126 mm. pitches, which, by today's standards, is is you know that's a lot of pitches uh, <laughs> for somebody that you know from this era. But he he was a, a gutty guy. Again, he he grew up in St. Paul, and that you know was kind of his home territory. And and so he came out there again in the tenth and got him out. And then bottom of the tenth, the Twins got up and and uh, won the game. Yeah, and. Uh... So the game goes to the bottom of the 10th inning. And Gene Larkin, was he a uh, utility player off the bench, or did he did he platoon with anybody back he, then? 
he was not a starter, but I think he was he was kind of a fill in outfielder. They you know he wasn't one of their one of their stars, but I mean he obviously you know Gladden got on and and uh, uh, Larkin came up and drove in. And you know what I like about World Series uh, playoffs is like the players who are not the superstars that get the key hit, get the key catch. You know, I could think of like three or four players like um, Enter Edgar Renteria from the Marlins, good player. Uh, gets the winning hit in Game 7 of the World Series. Uh, David Freeze, who uh, played for the Cardinals, great, good player, but he had that awesome World Series against the Rangers. And then, you know, Francisco Cabrera, which we said talked about earlier, um, get this, gets that winning hit in the, in the LCS and players like Jim Liritz. You always see players rise to the occasion. Another one, uh, Cody Ross from the Giants, when the Giants won, I think uh, he played sure. for the – Yep, so – um, so players who are not starters or superstars, they end up being the heroes, and that's what you like to see. So Gene Larkin, um, he got the hit. What was that place like when uh, when that hit went through? Oh, it, I mean, it was absolutely berserk. They, they, uh, nobody went on the field, to my knowledge. I, I, you know, I mean, people, I think there was kind of a break from the 70s, you know, when the Yankees were winning and everybody would run out on the field afterwards. and. <laughs> And, you know, everybody pretty much stayed in the stands. And, and uh, I think they had just seen – I think people had seen such great baseball that it was one of those things where they just – it was almost respect. And people were so excited, and they realized they'd seen, you know, maybe the best World Series of all time. Um, and, you know, and, and the players came around, and they, you know, they went around the side and slapped hands. And, um, you know, they didn't do an on – I don't believe they did an on-field celebration at that point. I think that was still in the locker room. And the people just didn't want to go home. And, and, you know, then they finally, you know, started heading out about a half hour after the game. But it was, it, it was, you know, it was just really, really exciting. And it was great, you know, great thing to be a part of. I, um, I, I was joking afterwards. We thought we'd go out and celebrate. It was a Sunday night. <laughs> and so we walked down the street in downtown Minneapolis and, the bars were all locked up and said, so what's going on? And they said, well, we close at midnight on Sunday. So regardless of winning a championship, you, wow. you couldn't get a drink. So, so we went home. That was about it. And then they had a parade a couple of days later, but yeah, people were just really, really excited. And you had the whole Homer Hanky thing and they had won four years before. So it wasn't like, you know, they didn't know what it was like to be a, a world champion, but, uh, um, you know, that was, when you think about it, that was the Twins' last time in the playoffs until 2001. Wow. Like Ten more years. And from a from a Minnesotan standpoint, I guess I grew up there. I'm not from Minnesota anymore, but they that was the last championship that a Minnesota professional sports team won was 1991. So over 30 years, the Vikings, Twins, Wild, uh, Timberwolves, None of them have won a championship in all that time. Wow. Well, it's speaking, it is pretty amazing how teams go in droughts, uh, cities go in droughts, and it's amazing. Like some teams, like the Mariners, have never made the World Series. It's incredible. Uh, right. You know, it's just it, how teams just not get there or they get there, or like the Giants in the late you know, 2010, 12, and 14, they won on the even years, and then the next year, you know, just, just didn't didn't even get close to a World Series. It's incredible. So uh, speaking yeah. of that hit by Gene Larkin here, we're going to go ahead and listen to that as well. 
Minnesota bench hoping to get this winning run across here in the 10th. It's carried by Dan Gladden the third. Bases loaded, one out. Infielders are sort of halfway at second and short. Pena in a jam. The Twins are going to win the World Series. The Twins have won it. It's a base hit. It's a 1-0 10-inning victory. That is incredible. Just knowing you have won the World Series or a championship and it, the the elation. I remember Dan Gladden running with his with his hands up in the air and bases. Kirby Puckett was at second base. Uh, truly incredible. But uh, Kirby Puckett, I think. Do you think if Kirby Puckett had not been on those teams, they would have won? Oh no, he was he was the the he was the guy. I mean, you know, obviously a Hall of Famer. Um, there were actually five, well, yeah, five Hall of Famers on the field that night. Glavin Smoltz, Bobby Cox, the manager, and then Morris and Puckett. Uh, but Puckett was, you know, he carried that team through good and bad. And, you know, his batting average and, and he had power, great outfielder, just a, you know, just a great guy in the community. And it was it was just sad when, you know, the day came and he had to retire because of some eye problems. And then, you know, he was gone not that long after that. So it was you know, he he was he was probably the maybe the most loved player, for, at least for the Twins. He was probably the most loved player ever in in that uh, in that team's history because he just you know he just couldn't get around his enthusiasm and and you know unfortunately the Twins didn't do that well after that. I mean they had a really a bad decade, but then you know they started up again in the in the two thousands and ended up moving to a new ballpark. One. Uh, one other note uh, on the post game, I, a lot of your listeners might have heard of Steve Russian. He's a writer from Sports Illustrated. He's written mm-hmm. a few books, and he's just a, a big baseball fan. And he grew up in Bloomington as well, where I grew up. And he got the assignment to write the the game seven, game six and seven uh, story for Sports Illustrated. So he, you know, they finished the game and, and they went and got their quotes and everything. Well, he went to his, his parents' house out in Bloomington where he grew up and basically sat in the basement where he started, you know, writing when he was a little boy and wrote the whole story and sent it over the wire. And, and you know, it was just like something you, you would dream of when you were a kid, you know, to hear your back in your parents' basement writing about the World Series. Wow. And- yeah, that was great. That that is awesome, and when you know Kirby Puckett, he passed away in two thousand six. It's hard to believe it's been what now 16, 16 years, if my math yep. is correct. He's he's been gone. He was uh, so he had, his stats were a batting average of three eighteen. He had two hundred seven home runs and a thousand eighty five RBIs. Ten time All Star. He was the ALCS MVP in nineteen ninety one and a two time World Series champion. I remember watching a show, might have been the late eighties. And it was a baseball show they used to have on. I remember, I'll have to see if I can find it on YouTube. It was Roger Clemens, Kirby Puckett, and another player. It was really awesome. And yep. the, yeah, there were some great players uh, it, that, it, that period of time. And again, you know, Atlanta went on to win 15 years in a row. So that, you know, that was good. that was a real good team. It was. It was. And uh, so hopefully everybody enjoyed this little discussion about the 1991 World Series. Jim's going to be back with me. For episode 12, we're going to talk the 1997 World Series 
a World Series that we know pretty well. We were actually in Miami. We'll talk about that, but we will see you. Jim, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. And then uh, I'm looking forward to talking Marlins Indians 1997 next. So thanks for joining me tonight.